Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. Okay, um, it's just gone one o'clock on this Thursday afternoon. Cliffcentral.com with myself, Mabale Moloy, and my partner in crime, Aspasia Karras, for another edition of Between Two Femmes. <laughs> <laughs> I always laugh. <laughs> um, I'm very excited about this afternoon's edition because we're going to be talking about a topic which I think a lot of us women obsess. Apparently, over. a lot of men obsess about it too. Well, that's 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 great because really sometimes I think that we do ourselves in as women obsessing over our looks. Well, perhaps a disfavor as opposed to doing ourselves in because that would be fatal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rather that. Um, so things are going to get interesting this afternoon. Um, remember, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can give us a call. The number zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. You can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. Or you can message us directly to WeChat in the Cliff Central official account. So Aspasia um, has invited a number of guests, a number of guests, acquaintances, <laughs> even friends, I imagine. Indeed, um, well, certainly some of them. <laughs> yes, we've got the beauty editor of Marie Claire magazine, Matakle Stofile. Good yes. afternoon. Hi, thank you. <laughs> um, we've also got Dr. Natasha Chapman joining us this afternoon. Hello. And Dr. Lori Negro from Laserderm. Hi. So this afternoon we're going to be chatting about beauty, aging, plastic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> the whole lot. And um, interestingly enough, just this morning, Gareth Cliff was saying on the show that he was looking at himself last night in the mirror. He caught himself in the mirror. And he said that for the first time in a long time, he feels really good about how he looks. He feels almost 100% confident in his skin. And, you know, he was prepared to give himself that compliment. A big thumbs up. And Leanne and I immediately said, oh, no, I can't imagine ever feeling 100%. Oh, my God. It's so easy for guys. It's so easy for guys. Hey? It's also easy for Al McPherson, I have to say, who this very week said that at age 50, she was, like, sunning herself, like, in a yacht in the Mediterranean Sea, as one does, and was hopping on and off the yacht and said to people, she feels much better at 50 in her skin, in her body, than she did at 20. And I thought, now that is very impressive. I'm starting to hear that quite often, though, especially from these older celebrities who look great, Mm. or I suppose who have been looking after themselves, that uh, they just feel better. I must say, I wouldn't want to be 20 again. Um, I'm 34, and I feel better than I did when I was 20 in my skin. But I think for men, it's a lot easier to just feel good and pleased with themselves uh, physically than it is for us. I mean, you'll hear somebody like Rihanna, for example, complaining about oh, she doesn't like her thighs or she thinks her yeah. stomach is this way. Meanwhile, you're sitting there thinking, but she's probably one of the close to being perfect women on the planet. But um, I doc- think that's just uh, false modesty, especially you think so? in yeah. relation to that dress that she wore at the Met. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> false modesty. <laughs> but is it then is it then right to say that the majority of women struggle with feeling a hundred percent happy and confident in their bodies? I think they probably do. Yeah, most people do, and it comes from a very young age. Um, as teenagers, young girls are very self-conscious, and there's a lot of pressure on women to look great. 
some of it comes from the media. You know, a lot of um, we see models and we see celebrities, we see pictures of them, and most of those have been airbrushed. But women, in, we just tend to forget that, and we think they've got a perfect stomach. They don't have cellulite. What's wrong with me? Doesn't matter how hard I diet or how hard I work at the gym. How come I don't look like that? But the reality is about between 80 and 90% of women have got cellulite. That's what the norm is. And would you say that there's an overwhelming, overwhelmingly large majority of women that have had plastic surgery and are just not necessarily saying? Mm, I think plastic surgery is the, 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 the extreme. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, I think non, the non-invasive treatments such as Botox and fillers are becoming more and more popular. Um, and people are starting at a younger and younger age. A lot of our patients now are in their 20s and their 30s, whereas 10 years ago it was more likely the 30s and 40s. Um, there's a big move away from invasive plastic surgery like such as facelifts, but certainly the non-invasive treatments are becoming more and more popular with men and with women, believe it or not. Um, yes, this is another thing that I wanted to talk about, is um, uh, surgery among men. This, this this probably happens a lot more than most of us realize. Correct, Dr. Negro? Well, you know, I think the surgical candidates are always going to be in the in the extreme minority because this is very expensive elective surgery, which is not covered by medical aids, and a very tiny proportion of people have done on the states on the states buck. Most of the people are paying for themselves, so it's always going to be a small minority of people. But men tend to do the big reconstruction work. The man with a weak chin has a chin implant. Man with bad cheekbones, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, one always hears about those celebrity things like pec implants and calf implants. Unfortunately, those are very few and far between because that's um, a certain level of, um, it's almost dishonesty. You're pretending to be really strong and you've got these pec and implants. Yet, it's not the same thing. It's just plastic. Yeah. It's all plastic, which in a way is what <laughs> the, the, the problem with the celebrity culture that we find ourselves in. It's like a slippery slope. On the one hand, I imagine the celebrities themselves are in this terrible quandary, conundrum, really. You can either go, we were just saying before, the Brigitte Bardot <laughs> route <laughs> and just abandon yourself to the cat. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, in Saint-Tropez, of course. Yes. I mean, there is, that is very important. If you are going to abandon yourself, at least do it in a sort of sunny climb Continue in the south of France. Yeah, exactly. But it's, um, so that, that's one route, but that's taking yourself out of that game. Mm. But in the same way, you imagine that these celebrities are almost creating our own dilemmas because certainly the idea of what 40 mm. looked like mm. Absolutely. 50 years ago and what 40 looks like now is a completely different thing when you look at a Jennifer Aniston. So, so these, it's in a way our society's obsession with youth, which has always existed. Isn't it interesting though that if over if over 80% of women have cellulite then why is it still embarrassing and not just the norm and kind of the you know the desirable thing that's just what women look like. We don't look at one another naked. We don't look at normal people naked. So it's always hidden so Mm -hmm. we think it's not there. We had a discussion about it the other day about the insecurities that women can have about their genitalia. About the move yes, towards this is something that we wanted to move to. And mm. now the doctor who was there, who was a plastic surgeon, <laughs> told us that he was doing, so I, I promptly called him the vaginoplister. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> it, it almost Patel, rolls off your tongue. Totally, almost. Almost. <laughs> you just get caught there, one or two very bits. Um, Dr. Chetan Patel told us that he was doing three mm. vaginal reconstructions 
per week. And my question was, in Johannesburg, how many vaginas does an average woman just see? I mean, I don't know how many vaginas I've seen in my life. (laughs) I wouldn't know what the perfect one is supposed to look like. But his answers were very interesting and just what motivates this these women to go. And, and I of think course, everyone was blaming the media again. <laughs> but I said, I personally had never published a picture of a vagina in Marie even in the naked issues. That's why we blame you, because that's your fault. We should <laughs> see, see more vaginas. We should see we more should. normal vaginas, <laughs> because that was the yeah. point that we got into, is that perhaps the idea with the vagina is that it comes from porn. And yeah. that porn vagina... Are the abnormal ones. Are abnormal. <laughs> They're like as abnormal as the porn penis, because well, somebody's already... Yeah, I think what was very interesting was was his comment that um, over sixty, between sixty and seventy percent of the patients that he's seeing are doing it for aesthetic reasons, not for yeah. functional reasons. So yeah. they're doing it for looks rather mm. than for for a problem in functionality. And that means where are they getting this idea of what the norm is? And we got into a big discussion. As we, I mean, you were there as well. A big discussion amongst the medical professionals and the media that were there. Where do women get the idea of what the norm is or what it should look like? Well, that mm. was certainly the hair question. And you were say, citing your sister in law. Was it your sister in law? Sister. Your sister, who said she, you know. So let's talk about about the hairy yeah. vagina. <laughs> but this is this is possibly where we are then to blame, partly as women. Um, I, I don't think that men are sitting there looking at vaginas the same way that we look at vaginas and then we go, oh, well, this, mine is so ugly and it's so this and it's so that. I, I don't think that a man, man looks at it from that perspective. So then with think he's just happy to be. He's just they're happy to be in that see, moment. They certainly see a lot more vaginas than we than do, we I would do, imagine. Yes. So that's why my question to the doctor was, are we sure men aren't saying to their women, hey, what does yours look like? <laughs> and then the woman kind of finds herself running to the doctor to fix it. But I was assured that's that's not the case. And that's well, the, that was the comment that he made. That was the do- mm. comment that Dr. Patel made was it's not women that are being sent in by their husbands yeah, and their boyfriends. They come no. They're coming on their own. Well, yeah. Yeah. But on a global scale, South Africans aren't promiscuous enough for one to be able to say, well, the average man has seen a lot of vaginas. Oh, they've seen no, more than I've seen. in the flesh. <laughs> and seen well, they hope, they hope to see a lot of vaginas yes. in as their lifetime. And as Aspasia says, most men would be happy with what they got. Mm. I think the thing comes from not knowing and evolving some insecurity. We start to talk about it. It's one of those hushed topics, vaginal rejuvenation, vaginal reconstruction. You think, well, what's it supposed to look like? Mm then you look at yourself more critically. Yes. It's if we, we could create a hate campaign for ears quite easily. We could tell everybody we could make a designer ear and we could have women all over the world mm. in absolute panic about the state because of Because to an extent, it was really the creation, this like vaginal angst really, mm, <laughs> came from some guy in LA. Mm, What's the name of that doctor? Dr. Matlock. And he's actually yeah, patented mm, all sorts really of, cool. I mean, this is just nuts for me. Also that we would go down this route. But in a way, the way you're describing the insecurity created mm. by this image, which is now being foisted on us, whether nefariously mm. by the doctor in LA, <laughs> where obviously all evil springs. Absolutely. Um, naturally. <laughs> naturally. All the celebrification of the face, mm. you know, and the body, the designer body, the designer face. Do we run the risk of all looking the same? Oh, we're already starting to, I think. Absolutely. We are. We're already starting to. Which is a shame because actually, women. you know, the 
the beauty also lies in the diversity that you see mm. with people, different people walking around you. Mm. But um, I want to get into this topic of non-invasive versus invasive procedures because, you know, then you'll also come across articles where they'll tell you how Kim Kardashian went in for a lunchtime procedure that took an hour. She went in and out and then she got something fixed. I don't know. what Like what exactly happens in those procedures where you don't go under? And what what is the doctor doing to you in yeah, those perhaps, kinds of procedures? Perhaps they should tell us what is the what is the usual what is the usual thing that most women are asking for who yeah. come in to Lunch see you at Laser Dome? <laughs> like what is the quick fix? Magic. Of course <laughs> you have magic. They're, look, I know. they're looking for magic. My favorite patient, and I, I tell him he's my favorite patient, came in and he said to me, "Make me look like George Clooney." <laughs> but who Dead does he really look face. like? Dead straight. So I said, "Well." Okay, let's get started. <laughs> and then he called my bluff and laughed. But um, most people people come in for Botox mm. because that most people think everything is Botox. Mm. You know, they want bigger, a fuller, a fuller lip, bigger, um, more defined cheeks, and then they'll say, "I'm here for Botox." It, Botox has become the Hoover of non-invasive mm. um, medicine. Yes, a, a lot of what we do is machine-based. We do a lot of um, laser resurfacing with with lasers. We do uh, fat reducing procedures with either ultrasound or or, or cooling temperature. But there's a there's a huge amount of technology, a massive body of technology, and most of it is coming out of Harvard, out of the the scientists and engineers at Mass General and MIT, and it's very high tech stuff. And we're lucky because we're able to practice first world medicine in South Africa. We've got first world technology. We don't have to say to people, this isn't the best. We can say it's the best. So the most common things that pull people through the door are the Botox and the fillers. But the things that are game changing, you know, the non-surgical facelift, that's all machine based. So you just get zapped with a laser and what, what does it do to you? Well, they're all different. <laughs> there's, no, there's no rubber stamp. There's okay. one single rubber stamp. We would be fantabulously wealthy and would all work for two and a half minutes a day. Right. It takes a lot of work, and there are very various procedures. So you come in with a complaint, and mm. like any patient coming to any doctor, the doctor, I've got pain in my hip. We do an X-ray and have a look and examine you. The same we see somebody who says, well, you know, I'm 55 years old. I'm starting to look a little bit like time is taking hold. Mm-hmm. And we make a plan. We evolve a plan for the patient with the quick fixes, the intermediate steps, and the long-term solutions. solutions. Mm. And a lot of the time we will say to a patient at some point there will be a surgical solution. But fortunately, we've got major temporizing measures now. Now, I mean, I think what's really interesting is that, um, Natasha, you were saying that the face, sort of this idea of beauty, has evolved over the years and now there's this idea the the, the modern face or, or what is considered beautiful right now is kind of this melange of faces across um, which I thought was so. very interesting in fact the ideal face is somewhere sort of from South America very much apparently so. the ideal butt is also from South America <laughs> <laughs> but more on that later what we do particularly when we go to overseas congresses and, and and even the local congresses there's quite a lot of presentations about what the ideal look of a beautiful woman is because obviously we're trying to beautify our patients as much as possible 
Um, and what's come across is if we look at the 1970s, someone like Farrah Fawcett, who was very square-faced, very heavy-jawed, was probably considered one of the most beautiful women. Nowadays, that look is very different. It's much more of a heart-shaped face, um, wide, uh, very pronounced cheekbones, wide, wide apart eyes, quite a large forehead, full lips. And if you look at beautiful women, whether they're Caucasian, black, Indian, or Asian, and you look at the different faces, you could literally almost change the color of their hair, and those faces are almost identical. Throughout the world, the idea of beauty has changed, and it will change again. Yes. That's our current the idea moment. of beauty. I mean, when you look at those Korean beauty pageants, I don't know if you've seen those pictures of Korean and Chinese beauty pageants. All those ladies have had a great deal of intervention, yeah. Marie, surgery. They all look the same. But they all look actually exactly the same. You could just interchange those ladies. You could go tick, tick, Mm. tick. And they all have exactly this heart-shaped face that you're describing. Mm. And I have to say that, I mean, I've been watching the evolution of the Kim Kardashian face. Mm. And she, too, is like sort of Mm. heading in that direction. Her chin, yeah, her chin has kind of become much more tapered as time goes by. How do you do that? (laughs) Without surgery, it's very easy. We just put a bit of filler in. Oh, really? Very easy. It's a matter of literally the procedure takes five minutes and it is it's so it can change somebody's look instantaneously. And we do it a lot on men to give them a, a stronger chin. chin. But also on women, if you're starting to get just a little bit of that turkey neck and a little bit of, of laxity, um, putting a little bit of filler in the chin can really make a big difference. Um, but it improves somebody's look. Slightly longer chin, slightly wider and higher cheekbones. It's and we're doing it more and more. But a few years ago, I had a, a beautiful girl that came in as a patient and her modeling agency she was 18 years old was the daughter of i think she had a black father and a white mother and she was complaining that she'd got the the small lips instead of the big lips <laughs> and she'd got the large nose instead of the small nose mm. and, and her modeling agency had sent her in mm. asking for her to have lip augmentation and asking her to go and have a nose job at the age of 18 magnificent, beautiful girl, beautiful figure, beautiful skin. And I just thought, my gosh, imagine someone coming and telling my daughter she needed plastic surgery in order for her to succeed as a model. And isn't it terrible? Because, yeah, you say, you (laughs) say, Matt. I was going to say that's interesting because I was going to ask the doctors if – do you have a line where you just go, okay, that's crazy, I'm not not engaging with this patient, send them home – or you say, no, I, I refuse to, to do that, whether someone is too young or you just think they're a little bit crazy. Well, do, much do more gently line? than that. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're cuckoo. Please leave. Here we go. Write it gently on a piece of paper. Here's a psychiatrist. No. Um, but everybody's <laughs> got their own line. This morphia has gone too far. Absolutely. It's too far, too far. Everybody's got a line and everybody's got a look that they are comfortable with or not. And every personal, it's a personal thing. So when somebody asks for something very, uh, very out there that's beyond what I normally do, I'm the happy. The Wildenstern yeah. case scenario. Absolutely. The other cat lady. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Then you say, then, well, I'm comfortable to say, well, this is the point at which I can stop. So either I'll start and we'll stop at that point or you'll go immediately to somebody else or you'll go at that point to somebody else. But I feel that to look like a natural version of yourself, just an enhanced version, is what I'm prepared to do. Sure. You know, if somebody comes, and 
you know, yes, you can take attributes from various people. I had a very lovely conservative patient the other day say to me she wants Kim Kardashian's lips. <laughs> and she wasn't being crazy at all about it. She, she she brought a picture of what she looked like in her youth, and she said, well, look where they're gone. Bring mm. back the lips. A point of reference Absolutely. for you to work from. And that makes it wonderful, and that we can definitely do for somebody. And I, I mean, she wasn't crazy at all. But then the other extreme is a patient whose husband phones and says, ahead and says, please don't mm. do anything. Then you really? know, yes, that oh, things no. have come to a pretty pass. Wow. <laughs> she looks different every time she comes home. Which I, could I be would exciting. Be, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that, this was the first time I was seeing this patient, and her husband found a head. I would be interested wow. to know if, on a global scale, depending on which race group you're from, if one group gravitates towards uh-huh. a particular mm-hmm. type of surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, de- depending on what features they feel that they're not happy with. I mean, I know that with with us black women, <laughs> um, full lips are, you know, we don't really need much help in that department. Yeah. So I wonder if white women are going in trying to get their lips pumped up, which is something that you would see more within that group as opposed to our group because clearly, you know, we, we don't really need it. So much so. I mean, it's it's white skins age differently from black skins. So I find... I have As Naomi said... So, <laughs> black don't crack. Oh, Naomi Kelly. Yeah, they yeah, don't. still looks 15. Black skins. I mean, I don't do a lot Cracks of later. have a lot of do a lot of Botox on black patients. They just don't wrinkle the same way that white yeah. skins do. Mm. Likewise, I very seldom augment um, a black person's lips, whereas we do lots and lots of white. What patients. do we like mm. in terms of aging? Normally, the biggest issue is pigmentation. Mm. So. 90% of the black patients that we see that are aging are there for how do I get rid of the sun damage and the pigmentation. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating. What we are finding more and more, though, is um, volume loss and mm. putting fillers into cheeks and giving back, uh, especially cheeks. A lot of volume loss in the mid-face area makes people look tired, and that doesn't matter what race group mm-hmm. you come from. I want to ask you about these skin lightening procedures, which also a lot of black women seem to be obsessed with, where we want to become fairer. Fair-skinned. Or just like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> just like Michael Jackson. And, you know, they're, they're these horrible creams that you can get off the street and you start you, they start applying the creams and it does so much damage. But um, are, there, are there surgical procedures to actually lighten someone's skin tone? Is that something that's, that you do okay, as well, doctors? This is like our black box warning. Hey, When you say skin lightening, I think cigarettes and... Crack cocaine. It's it's something that gives us the chills because most of that is most of the drive towards skin lightening is is preying on people's psychological um, sentiments and their inadequacies. You know, we don't we don't yeah we absolutely. I mean, you look at Michael Jackson, you think, why would he want to have done that to himself? Mm. But but there is there is legitimate skin lightening. You know, there is pigmentation and there is sun damage. And the use of creams with hydroquinone is definitely something that can be used therapeutically, but it must be used within the confines of medicine. You know, buying something that um, I spoke to somebody from the city press a couple of weeks ago about some new cream that you can buy from every single street vendor. Well, you know, that's scary stuff. Well, in a lot of ways you think, well, maybe it's not scary. Maybe it doesn't work at all. Maybe it just isn't what it says, and then that's fine. You know, maybe it's just baby cream without any hydroquinone <laughs> in it. But you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't go and buy antibiotics from the guy who was selling his fruit on the side of the road. So why are you buying medicine yeah. from that person? Yeah. But it is quite interesting because a lot of these trends can be damaging. I mean, obviously, uh, 
I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to only talk about skin whitening. There's also the issue of the hair removal because I read something yesterday, taking all the hair off your JJ, as in like, you know, like as encouraged, well, waxing it all off. Okay. The Brazil, you know, the complete Hollywood or wherever it's called mm-hmm. has in fact like sort of been now medically proven to be very bad for you because it creates like little cuts and things and then you're actually more vulnerable to STDs and chances are you've well, done it be. just before you're going to, uh, you know, you've yeah. planned yeah. this. Yeah. Oh you're actually in you're for some happy nookie yeah. nookie. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're like actually exposing yourself to some, you, you're actually making it. So, uh, so it's a terrible nefarious cycle. It's very, it's very interesting. And a lot of international beauty blogs, um, there's a little revolution going on where these kids are now going, actually, we're, we're not removing our our pubes anymore. We're not removing hair anywhere. <laughs> I, going, think it's, uh, I think it's we're funny going that 70s bush. Yeah, and they're going, no, actually, I kind of thought about it and I was like, why am I doing this? Or yeah. whatever? Or, or there must be a reason we have a bit of hair down there. Why, you know, yeah. and then they just kind of, you know, come full circle and go, no, actually, I'm, I'm stopping to do it. So I'm wondering if this is going to be a new trend or if it's just... If a, the bush is going to come back. Yeah, if the bush <laughs> is going to come back. But isn't that what we got from the porn industry? I mean, even in the days of Scope magazine and they'd put a little star, the star didn't cover very much. So it, I mean, they really had to have made sure that, that the, the lady was neatened up quite a lot just for the star to cover. I mean, they say things even like, uh, even when you're watching a TV ad of... of like shaving or hair, you don't actually see the woman's hair. It's almost so taboo to mm. see a woman's hair. Yeah. Um, and now in our heads, you you know, it's no longer normal for a woman to have hair because you don't see it anywhere. Not in the razor ads, not in, you know, not anywhere yeah, because nobody's got hair growing anywhere. As a woman, you shouldn't have hair, which is weird. It's like the time when Julia Roberts was persecuted for being I caught know. with hairy <laughs> underarms. <laughs> By one tabloid person, and it ended up in magazines all yeah. over the world. And it used and, to yeah. be and the a question feminist wa- statement. For, <laughs> <laughs> I think now growing your, you know, pubic hairs is a feminist mm. statement. <laughs> goodness, Z A Wonder is saying, is there no end to people's narcissism and vanity? No. Ha ha, he says. No, there isn't. Plastic <laughs> surgeons got balls too. But I'm just. Uh, <laughs> Is is it is is that what it's about though? Are we narcissistic or because interestingly enough, I was um, I had the TV on in the background yesterday and Fashion Police was on with Joan Rivers. Now she's famously known for advocating for plastic surgery and she she's not ashamed about it. And she said, um, you know, you take your car in for like you you take care of your car, you take it in for service, you you know. You, you get it polished, you get it shining. Like, why should you not be expected to do the same with your body? Uh, because it's take, a car? Take your body in for the upgrades. <laughs> you know, crazy. take care of your body. Get a nip tack here. But it is uh, true. Yeah. You know, nowadays we've got heart valve replacement, knee replacements, hip replacements. So every part of our body is being replaced, allowing us to live to a healthier old age. And the one thing that was lagging or lacking and or certainly falling behind was aesthetics, your, basically your skin, how you looked after it, and, and your appearance. And people are looking younger and younger. It doesn't help that we see celebrities on TV. And with this whole advent of reality-based TV programs, and we're watching the Kardashians and watching, and you're seeing what celebrities do to make themselves look beautiful. It's, it's educating the rest of the world on what we can do. But Joan Rivers looks crazy. <laughs> she does. But Joan, <laughs> but Joan, Joan end of the yeah. wedge. Yeah, Joan Rivers was never a, a spectacularly beautiful 20-year-old. Yeah. How she looks, I, I respect how she looks. It isn't she what I'd like to different. look like, but she does look like a, a really interesting-looking alien. 
<laughs> and it's a personal choice. I think that's the thing that we keep running away from when people say vanity, vanity, vanity. They make they've now stigmatized vanity. It's it's rude. It's a rude word. You're not allowed to be vain. And it's a, but it's a, a word choice. only applied to women. Yes, and mm. but it's from a, a very choice. Young age. And you don't have to. You know, if you are, if you've taken care of every other aspect of your life, if you are a fantastic partner, a fantastic parent, a fantastic employee, a fantastic friend. And now you've got this disposable income and you want to look the way you are. It's not the other way around. You already are a fantastic person. You just want to look fantastic on the outside as well. It's not that these people are empty shells of human beings who are ugly on the inside. They're actually beautiful people on the inside and they wanted to match on the outside. Mm -hmm. There are many celebrities quoted saying they they wanted the outside to match the inside. Well, isn't that fantastic? Isn't it fantastic that Elle McPherson is is healthy in her own skin? I think it's great. And she also does really look spectacular Mm. on that um, in those shots. In those skimpy bikini. bikini. She, She looks Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And I mean, this is what was interesting about what you were saying. We are going to live much longer. Mm. So as as time progresses, but is there going to be this divide between the haves and the have nots? I was reading this like sort of research yesterday that yeah. said that in fact, so I mean, you were saying about the ideal face, which is like symmetrical. Apparently, the harder your childhood was, the more difficult and hard scrabble the more asymmetrical your face is. It actually has an impact on the way your face develops, which started me thinking that there's definitely such a thing as a rich face mm. and oh, wow. a non-rich face. Mm. There's there's almost like, and, and will we move into this world as, as things become more, you know, disparate? There are more rich people getting richer than a middle class and the poor people are definitely getting poorer. And so will we have this rich face, this completely inaccessible dystopian future where you have rich face and then but also and people living till like 90 looking a particular way and then lots of poor asymmetrical folk mm. yeah, or just with their poor. cellulite. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because, I mean, is, is, is plastic surgery ever going to be affordable to everybody? So you, you'll just know you're broke because you're aging and... Uh, Everyone else looks great because they can afford a little. A few years ago, one of the magazines—I don't recall which one it was—put a whole lot of women on their cover. I think they were between their fifties and their sixties. Women with money and women without. Mm. And you could—it was at least a ten-year difference Mm. in their ages. Yeah. And we can see that. I mean, now you know, if you look at women who have come from a higher socioeconomical status, they go—they can afford to go to gym. They can afford to dress nicely. They can afford good creams and good skincare products. Absolutely, and you go into a poorer area, and the women the all look much older, much, um, much more tired, and generally they're much more overweight. Their diets aren't as good. I mean, to face that, if we are buying salads and healthy food, it's actually a lot more expensive. There's a very famous picture from the Great Depression um, of a mother who I think was about 27 or something who looks clutching her two children in a sort of tent encampment some in some terrible dust bowl. And she looks haggard. She looks at least 55 in the shade. And then you read the caption, and she's 27 with her two little infants. And you realize a hard scrabble life is almost so that, so there is almost this thing of, 
finances, which was a question that mm. you wanted to ask Mabale. What does it actually cost? Well, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's had breast implants, and I asked her how much she paid for them, and she said it was 40,000 rand. And I thought, oh, my goodness, who has 40,000 rand? How? Your friend does. <laughs> how did she get it? Because medical aid obviously doesn't cover for cosmetic uh, procedures. No. So how are these people playing, paying for these procedures? Are they getting loans? Are they saving up the money? Are they getting some extremely wealthy man to <laughs> you know, sponsor? To the, sponsor? The vast majority of people Some people really we know save. do. They save. Uh, they save. Yeah. And some people get loans. A lot of people will manage, if, if they have a husband that can afford it, will talk their husband into it, into paying for it. There, there are a few companies in South Africa where they... Um, it's sort of like a medical aid where they will pay for it and then you pay them back. Um, and I suppose mm, so they're financing your plastic surgery in the same way they'll finance your divorce. Mm. Perhaps mm. they're doing both. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so so, like, w- get an upgrade, <laughs> get a divorce, yeah. <laughs> and you reset. What are some of the more expensive procedures? I mean, Botox, if you go in for Botox, for example, how much are you going to pay at like entry level? <laughs> oh, it's it's very very hard to say. Yeah, you know, you look at a region, a bit a bit of face by bit of face, or the whole of the face. You know, it's always different mm. in each person. But you've got to realize that these, that one must make a budget. That's the first step. That's mm. what you must do before you come to see us. You must say, this is what I'm prepared to spend. And that's got to you've got to think about all of the things. What do you spend doing your hair? What do you spend on your skincare? Regime? Are you buying La Prairie and Le Meur for thousands and thousands of rands, but you're ignoring a great big frown that's creating a crater in the middle of your face? You've got a budget, and you've got to put the money in the right box. And I like to, I like to often send my patients away after a first visit to go and back and look at their, do their sums. If it's somebody who's never, I've never seen before, or somebody who has is brand new to this industry, work out what you have, because. Um, definitely less than about 750 rand. You're not going to do anything with Botox. But then beyond that, the sky's the limit. And everybody's got a patient who, I mean, I think um, on the Graham <laughs> Norton show, Car- uh, Cheryl Cole or whatever her new surname mm-hmm. is, I don't know. It's a whole double, uh, triple barrel. Uh, she was saying that her tattoo costs the same as a small car. Oh. Now there's always the sky's the limit with any of any procedure of, uh, relating to the body, and there are Who people. Who did she use? <laughs> oh, somebody. Re- no, it's enormous. It's her whole bum. Not that ah. it's a big bum. No, uh-huh. that's a ridiculous. Oh, small yeah. teeny bum. That's a very big one. tattoo. Yeah. She, should, she should have had a discount because it's so small. But yes, it covers her whole bum. And I think it's of a rose <laughs> yes, or something. Rose. Yeah. yeah. And I think you know. Certainly, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't shocked. know why I'm I know shocked. that. Why do we know? <laughs> That's because her black wedding dress was totally see-through. Yes, and you could see it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, oh. certainly somebody who's had their face and their boobs and their this and their that has run into hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rands. And surgery is very expensive. There's the hospital. There's the equipment. There's the surgeon. There's the anesthetist. It, it racks up. Our treatments, the non-surgical treatments, tend to be more affordable, but some of them can come into the tens of thousands of rands. And it, but it goes on a case-by-case basis. You know, there's somebody with severe acne scarring who's who's battling in the job market because he's embarrassed and everybody else looks better than him and he wants to feel better about his skin. I think mm. budgeting for that, to have the, his skin resurfaced and to give him back skin of a normal 30-year-old is something that you should budget for. And that mm. person will then say, well, then, you know, I won't, I won't I'm not saving for an overseas holiday. Mm. I'm saving for my full my skin. 
and my my self esteem. Self esteem. But speaking about self esteem, I read that Botox. They did a study about women and before they started doing the Botox, that in fact, here's the thing, your facial um, signs, like the way you look when you're frowning, actually starts impacting on your mood. So you might not have been depressed, but because you're frowning constantly, Mm, you look like you're depressed all the time. And people are saying to you, Mm. are you upset? Mm. What's wrong? Mm. Oh, what's wrong? You actually do internalize that thing and you become depressed. And so the Botox is antidepressant, was yes. having an antidepressant impact. Mm. It's a very well-known impact. side effect. Oh, yeah. wow. So Botox suddenly you're much cheerier. Mm. Huh. This is a good thing. <laughs> at, at what point do doctors say, okay, it's time for a psychiatric evaluation with you because you are definitely addicted to plastic surgery? Mm. When does that happen? Because I imagine that that's a very fine line. Yeah, people ask often. Um, oh, you must have a lot of patients that are, are addicted or over the top. And, and the reality is it's less than 1% of the patients that you see. Most okay. people that come in for Botox or for fillers are the average person, the man on the street, the person who catches the bus to work or the secretary or someone's PA. Um, yes, some people spend more than others. And once in a while you'll get someone that's addicted. Um, and they do. you've got to very gently say, look, there's nothing wrong with this. Are you sure that this is what you're seeing or are you sure that um, that, that you are, haven't lost your sense of reality here? To refer someone to a psychiatrist is very difficult because they generally won't go. They just look for another doctor who's prepared to do the procedure. And don't they, I mean, but there are some people who are wandering about town going to multiple doctors, lots. doing lots, lots of things. At lots. Like, so, so there is a condition. There should be a blacklist. What I, I mean, what I try and do, I've got a few patients like that. I try and keep them with me. So I will do minimally, a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. But what the aim is to keep them as natural looking as possible and also to keep them with me because I trust myself and I trust what I'm going to do. But I don't necessarily trust the next practitioner who might just sort of see money signs and say, well, let's do whatever we can on this patient. And they'll take it. You know, you've got to, you do have to put some people to stop and sort of say, slow Did down, we- slow down. Sorry, do people still do the old school Joan Rivers facelift or is it all about the liquid facelift now? Yeah, do, do, do they still cut into no, your face definitely. and pull up Absolutely. the skin? Is it <laughs> <is that, laughs> for aesthetic reasons or is more people have been in accidents? No, 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 definitely reconstruct. purely aesthetic Really? Reasons, because mm-hmm. in terms of looking different one day to the next, the most dramatic way to do it is surgically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so, so the idea one thing must think of is that one puts back volume with either fillers or fat fat transfers. One, one does as much with volume as one can, but at a certain point, the skin is going to be to too pull. much, yeah. and you have to do a bit of pulling. But you have to delay it as far as possible because every time you do a facelift, it needs to be revi- revised in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you... And I've had a few patients this year, new patients I've never seen before, who've already had facelifts between the age of 40 and 45. And it surprises me. I wonder what they looked like mm. before. You know, you want to... Um, gently ask them to bring in a photograph <laughs> to see how bad it could possibly have been. But that's not when you should be doing it. Because if you do 45, 55, 65, 75, Joan Rivers that's is 80, hey? Yeah. Four facelifts, you're never going to look like a normal yeah. person. Yeah. You'll definitely look like a beautiful, shiny alien. <laughs> and uh, if that's your, choice, that's your choice, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. A shocked alien, yes. And, and that's why these whole, the whole drive is away from the surgery. Not to, not to, Say no surgery, but say later, please. Later, later please. Or, yeah. 
let's resurface the face. Let's improve the the condition of the skin. Let's use good products. Let's you know, let's tighten. Let's do as much as we can so that we don't have to have that that first facelift at 45. So to come back to the celebrities, which ones do you think have actually done it relatively well and are not looking completely freakish? Do you think she's she's a good example? I think so. I mean, apart I from her freakish sort of personal her husband looks issues. crazy, and she's crazy, but I think she looks good. I think she looks quite normal. Maybe except that first week when she comes back from a doc- <laughs> doctor and she looks a bit swollen. Mm. But I think generally she she's probably got a... Because know, how old is she? Well past her 50s. Um, I mean, well, well past 50. Now, this is, this is a good point to make because... Um, there are some articles who will speculate on whether the youngest Jenners, the Kendall and Kylie, or mm-hmm. there there's speculations around whether they've started getting these these surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in a country like the US, it's not uncommon for you know mm-hmm. a mom to take her daughter in to get a procedure. But the question is, can you be too young for surgery? Mm-hmm. Because surely. Surely you can. You know, it's a slippery slope. Um, I think it depends on the society that you're in. I know if I go to the States or to Los Angeles, the look and the norm is very different from what it is to South Africa. Mm. Um, and once in a while I have someone who brings their daughter in. I had someone bring her 21-year-old daughter in for Botox recently. And I know 21. Mm, 21. <laughs> I mean, the wrinkles haven't started by then, right? So no, what's what's to, the to do what for Botox? You what's say? the for rush? Botox. Well, the mom is the mom does a lot of a lot of work, and she Sounds said, like you know, rather, lady, yeah. rather start earlier rather than later, and 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 preventative. Personally, I don't. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with frowning when it becomes a permanent frown and it's and it's unattractive. But at the age of 21, it's not the right age. Yeah. But if you look at someone like the Kardashians, they're on TV. Every single move is watched by the whole world, and you watch yourself on TV and you see a little bit of cellulite or you see a little roll, and the first thing you want to do is get rid of that because the whole world has seen that roll. So it's a job. Yeah. It is. The pressure that these girls are under is mm. immense. Mm. Although I have to say, it's self-inflicted. It is must be that. No, it's it's and it's a, totally a first world problem. I yeah. mean, how hideous yes. that I have all these people throwing money at me. How awful <laughs> I feel so persecuted. You know, the, yeah. I think the thing about starting young is that on a personal note, I think one should try and settle into one's face. Yes. And I think there's a lot to do about growing up. I've got a very strong nose and I spent years saving for my nose job when I had a vac job you know in, in varsity in yeah. school I saved my money and then when it came to the moment where I had to choose a nose I thought how the hell am I going to choose a nose <laughs> like how am I I'm definitely going to have to suffer from a similar condition what if it I doesn't suit your face yeah. Yeah. And, that, and I know that the one I will have chosen I will dislike much more than the one I have because I chose it <laughs> so I bought furniture for my first house <laughs> you know right. that's you know, and I feel like that was a part of my growing up. But there are there are worse noses out there, and there are kids with much bigger problems. You know, you can have huge asymmetry in your face that's unpleasant. You know, there are people with where the whole one side of their body is bigger than the other, and when that falls in the face as well, mm. then you, you you must help those kids mm. out because yeah, children are relentless, and you must. And if if the persecution that they're f- having on a social level mm. is worse than then your bit of moral judgment to say they're starting too early, well, then I think it's your duty to help them. But it is, it's a very case-by-case thing, and we don't encourage mothers to bring in their kids because you don't, it's almost like the whole thing about pubic hair, you don't want a little girl to be worried about pubic hair. It shouldn't mm. be on their radar. Yeah. But 
in a way, though, we've kind of sexualized society so intensively mm. that now, like, 10-year-olds. Yes, they're not like we were. They're not little girls anymore. Worried they're about teen. manifesting in Body a sexy hair. way. Mm. and. I mean, when we, when we were 10 years old, we were probably running around, you know, playing, uh, making mud pies. 10-year-olds today are I was post- playing torture, torture. Which worries me mm. in the garden. <laughs> no, what but does but that mean? I don't even want to know what that is. <laughs> I also don't want to know. But mulberries. Primarily, you had to stand in a pile of mulberries. Oh. So, <laughs> and what? that was really the worst. That's like torture. the squishy mulberries yeah. coming through your toes. <laughs> then you had to have a bath. I mean, it was just an endless cycle and stained of skin. For yeah, a while. terrible, terrible things could unfold once you had to stand yeah. in the mulberries. But I mean, the biggest concern <laughs> for today's ten-year-old is probably the selfie era. You know, mm. oh, to take. Well, look at. I have music videos. Yeah. I'm horrified that my children watch music videos because in every single one, the women are absolutely gyrating, thrusting their pelvises. And I just think, my, my, I've only got boys. My sons must look at this and think that's how all women behave. And then they really don't. But when you go to this, I mean, I've got a 12-year-old and they've started going to socials. That's how all the girls dance because mm. they copy the music videos. It's, oh it's quite God. disturbing. It is, it is disturbing. We've run um, a series of pictures from um, the video girls essentially behind the scenes yeah. video girls and i mean that whole like all the stuff that you you're meant to embrace big gold guns big gold chains mm. big gold booties as little as possible shaking a win. lot yeah <laughs> okay if i am going to get a surgical procedure what do i need to know how do i start preparing me as my value do i go onto the internet and start reading up uh, what what should people know when they want to go in for a surgical procedure? Or a non-surgical procedure. Or a non-surgical or a non- procedure. Well, it depends on, I mean, if you know that you want to have a breast augmentation, then you then clearly you've got to go and see a plastic surgeon. But most people don't have that much knowledge. And your best would be to go and see an aesthetic practitioner, not necessarily a plastic surgeon, but somebody that specializes in aesthetics, and say, look, these are my concerns. This is what bothers me. What is available? And Anyone that, um, you know, most aesthetic practitioners will sit down and give you a, a whole list of what's available and what the cost would be and also what you could expect results-wise in the long term so that you're sort of educating yourself as to what's available and then send you on your way. And then your job is to go and sit mm. on the Internet and research the procedures. And if you have questions, come back and ask a little bit more because it's not possible. If you read on the Internet, you, you get good Stories, bad stories. It's almost impossible to know which treatments like work the and self which ones don't. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Would you advise that people should shop around for surgeons? Don't necessarily settle with the first one you speak to. Get um, a second opinion. Would you advise you that people should do booty. that? Don't shop around for price. Definitely don't shop <laughs> yeah. around for price. <laughs> no. um, but you, you definitely need to um, ask them for an example of their work. You definitely need to be comfortable with somebody and not feel like you're being pushed into something. Um, and, you know, to go and see us, depending on who you see, but to go and see a plastic surgeon is not inexpensive. On In general, your consultation is about 650 rand. Mm. So you certainly can't go to sort of 10 different doctors. Mm. But maybe just one or two or possibly three doctors, not one, two or three doctors, and just get a feeling of, of who you trust and who you feel good with. Well, I say to my patients yeah. that it's sort of, that one must must be a proper consumer in healthcare. You know, we've got the Consumer Protection Act. People must be consumers. You must go to a doctor, and if you like everything about the doctor, then you're in the right place. You have to shop around because not everybody is for everybody. Not everybody understands what you're saying. Not everybody hears what you're hearing. So try a few on. 
go and see three. Yes, they cost 650 rand each, but it's the procedure, the definitive procedure, as you say, is going to start at 40,000. Mm. So that first little bit of legwork, yes, it costs a little bit of money, but that's your research money. Although, Laurie, I found that like girls with boob jobs are very, very keen to demonstrate them. Oh, yeah. Yes, I've like also found like that. Whipping yeah, up their tongue. Like, yeah. Do you want to see? Let's go yeah. to the bar. I'll yeah. show you. Feel, touch, feel, touch. Feel, feel yeah. how natural they are. And you're like, oh, God, this is so awkward. <laughs> and do you think that's going to happen with the vaginoplasties? Oh, no. Real no, 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 look no. at my new vag. Oh, <laughs> my word. Things have gone from bad to worse. Bad to worse. But here's my question. With the with body sort of dysmorphia, and I was thinking about the mo- the boobs. And the moobs. Mm. Because you, you were saying that a lot of people that you treat are moobs. Mm. Men with... Mm. Mm. Male boobs. Male boobs. Moobs because they, Yeah. And they just want them gone. They do. It's is so that, is, that, is, is that a... I mean, I thought that that was just a diet and exercise thing. No. No. Be hormonal, it's usually, hey. it can be hormonal. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's usually Young genetically. Guy. Oh, okay. It's like a, it's a side effect of... And, of and, and you freeze them off. Yes. yes, that's what they do. <laughs> you freeze them <laughs> they off. They freeze the moves off. When you say freeze them off, it sounds like I always think that people think we're dipping people in liquid nitrogen. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly enough. what I'm thinking. Is I'm thinking exactly liquid nitrogen. They have a big vat yes. and you just hop into it. No, tell them what to do. It's quite fascinating. <laughs> we do a procedure called cool sculpting, which is amazing. It's basically cryolipolysis. Cryo is freezing. Lipolysis is breaking down of the fat cells. And the machine is like a giant vacuum, and it will suck that area in. So whether it's a man boob, or it's a tummy, or it's a love handle, or inner thigh, or upper arms, or brow bulges, there are lots of areas we can treat. We basically suck it in between two electrodes, and we freeze it. And you freeze for an hour. When you release it, it's uh, frozen. It looks like a butter pet. And it feels like a slush puppy, like it's it's frozen fat. It's like a defrosting chicken breast. You can put your fingers into it and make indentations. Uh, but then your move is gone. Well, so then what happens? Yeah, your fat cells here. crystallize, mm-hmm. and gradually, gradually, over the next four months, your body removes those fat cells from your body. Uh, well, your body removes them by itself. So you'll lose 20 to 40 percent of the fat. But for men particularly, they don't want scars from liposuction. So liposuction is also an option for man boobs. But when, whether you're a man or a woman, most people don't want the scars or the trauma associated with liposuction. So they're busy freezing their fat at the moment. And we've got patients coming in doing six, seven areas at a time, tummies, love handles, bra bulges. It's quite a nice way of body sculpting these days. It is. We've got a message here on WeChat, and it says, I want to find out your opinions on Kanimbao and the work she's done on her face. Oh, Do you think she looks better or worse? Because personally, I think she was more beautiful before her multiple surgeries. And sometimes this happens. You get surgery and you look like a completely different person. I think Kanyin Bao is a, is a bit experimental with her looks. Mm. And I think those are all her choices. I think that she is, is well informed. And I don't think nobody's twisting her arm. Mm. I certainly think that it also garners her much more celebrity. And it's a reason to talk about her. And the fact that we're talking about her now probably makes her happy. Yes. So Whatever think, she looked like. Yes, yeah. I mean, if we said she looked like, you know, Bruce Jenner, it would be something that somebody <laughs> would then tweet and then we'd get excited about. Yeah. You know? And I think that I think that, that entity, that's, that that celebrity in action is, is a very real entity in our market. You know, I think that those in the world, not just in South Africa, fortunately there are a few of them in South Africa. We almost have to guard against it. Absolutely. So think this is not reality. I no. mean, when they say reality TV, please people. Yeah. This is like unreality TV, yes, like unradio. Yeah, anti-reality. Yeah. <laughs> but is that how you get noticed? The more people talk about you, the better it is for your image and the better it is for your publicity. 
depends who you are. That's mm. what celebrity is all about. Yeah. All right, ladies. Um, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it now. Wrap it up now because we have come to the end of our edition here on Cliff Central. Um, thank you so much for coming through. Maybe they should give us another hour. <laughs> Listen, you're in a room with you're in a room with five women. You can give us five hours, and we go on and on and on. But thank you so much for coming through, Matatla Sitole. Uh, sorry, Stofile, beauty editor um, of Marie Claire magazine, Dr. Natasha Chapman, and Dr. Laurie Negro from Laserdom. Thank you for bringing your expertise this afternoon. It's been real. Hey, Mabali. We've had fun. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm going to go home and think about that life section now. <laughs> it's the body dysmorphia. <laughs>